From WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Earth Eats. I'm your host, Kate Young. This week, Susan Mentert introduces us to Indiana's signature wine, Traminette. And we give a second listen to our story on Sasson, the Saturday market Yucatan-style taco stand who's grown into a full-fledged restaurant that opened earlier this month in downtown Bloomington. That's all coming up in the next half hour on Earth Eats. First, the news with Renee Reed. Hello, Renee. Hi, Kate. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has issued long-term approval for the insecticide sulfoxiflor, a chemical that has been embroiled in challenges for more than four years. An appeals court in 2015 struck the chemical's registration, ruling that the EPA had approved the chemical without properly studying its impact on bees. In 2016, the agency allowed use of sulfoxiflor on crops that do not attract bees. That move was meant to buy time for further study. But over the years, the agency has granted exceptions to the partial ban, allowing for so-called emergencies. The most recent exception came last month when the EPA allowed sulfoxiflor to be sprayed on cotton and sorghum crops, which attract bees across 18 states. Sulfoxiflor is used to stave off insects that pierce and drain crops like sugarcane aphids, stink bugs, and tarnished plant bugs, also known as ligus. In its long-term approval, the EPA called sulfoxiflor, quote, an effective tool for growers that has a lower environmental impact because it disappears from the environment faster than widely used alternatives like neonicotinoids. The decision comes soon after an announcement from the U.S. Department of Agriculture indicating the agency had stopped tracking the collapse of bee colonies due to a budget shortfall. And as we reported last month, Roundup-resistant wheat was discovered in a field in Washington state. This week, the USDA confirmed what many suspected. The identified wheat strains are Monsanto products. It's the fourth case of genetically modified wheat found in the U.S. One of the strains was also found in eastern Oregon in 2013. In an update issued this week, the USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service or APHIS, maintains there is, quote, no evidence that any GE wheat has entered commerce or is in the food supply. APHIS also says they will provide a test kit to U.S. trading partners to identify these wheat strains in their supplies. The Food and Environment Reporting Network points out that President Trump signed an executive order last month telling the USDA, FDA, and EPA to use their existing powers to, quote, exempt low-risk products of agricultural biotechnology for undue regulation. Those products include gene-edited crops and livestock. That's the news this week. Thanks to Chad Bouchard and Taylor Killo. And thanks to you, Renee, for bringing us those reports. Always a pleasure, Kate.
Summertime is the perfect time for winery tours. Did you know that Indiana is home to nearly 100 wineries? As Susan Minter discovered recently, the state's signature wine, Traminette, is an ideal wine to sample and compare as you sip your way across the state. You could say Traminette is the perfect companion to summertime in Indiana. A hybrid of the German Gewürztraminer and the French Johannes Sieve, Traminette is all-American, developed decades ago by researchers at the University of Illinois and Cornell University. It's well adapted to Indiana, and Traminette wines take on a variety of characteristics depending on the grape's growing conditions and the winemaker's style. I sat down recently with Meredith Easley of Easley Winery in Indianapolis and Tom England of Ivy Tech's Culinary Arts Program to learn more about the range of styles our Indiana winemakers produce with Traminette. And people often ask us when they're always trying to identify what, what is Traminette, where does it fall in my current wine knowledge, and I always say, well, have you had a Sauvignon Blanc? And they'll say, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with Sauvignon Blanc. And I'll say, have you had a Riesling? And they're like, well, yeah, I know what a Riesling is. Those are both white wines, as is Traminette. Mm -hmm. And if you look at kind of what's in the middle when you look at it from an acidity standpoint, and from a fruit standpoint, with some of that citrus, there, there's no wrong answer what you perceive in a wine is absolutely there, but we always welcome it that when folks are at our wine bar sampling or we're at festivals introducing a Traminette, or even with um, you know with different chefs who've never been introduced to Traminette, we like to say, what do you notice? You know, first it is about the aromatics, and it's you know swirl that glass, let those aromas really unlock and climb out, and see see what's there. Um, so that's some of that. This is wine is just so much fun, and it's still a mystery in so many ways. But all of these things are factors. Interesting thing is, you know, and you mentioned this uh, as they were being poured. There's a big color difference from from these. Part of that has to do with the age. Um, two of them are 2016 and two 2018. So the older the wine gets, the darker it's going to get. So and we see that in number one, a little bit of color in there. Uh, but it also has a lot to do with the winemaking process and, and you know, how they treat those grapes. And, and uh, the, the first one is aged a little bit longer on the lees, so on, on the dead yeast cells. Uh, and it's created this almost um, creamy texture to it and, and uh, nose to it. Although the acid, you know, is, is what you would expect uh, from a Traminette. It's, it's nice, uh, crisp acid in this. Uh, even though it doesn't have any sugar, you know, it's, it's cleansing. This is... This would be a great, you know, starter type wine that you could have with shellfish or, you know, even a little shrimp uh, cocktail uh, to start a meal. Uh, and that, you know, that clean acid will, will clean your palate and get you ready for the rest of the meal. Mm -hmm. So what about the next one? Yeah, the next one's really light in color, uh, and it's at, uh, 2018, I believe. Uh, so it's, it's younger uh, and shows that younger color. Uh, I like how the honeysuckle comes out in this. The, the sweetness is just a little bit, it's only 1% sugar, so a lot of people can't even detect the sugar in that. Uh, and you know, th this is a, a great example of what you can do uh, here with Traminette, is, is do these really light, crisp white wines, uh, and then build up to semi-sweets and even sweets. Uh, so we see these, these first two are what I would say are dry wines, they're you know, crisp, great uh -huh. starters to a meal, or even drinking on their own, you know, great start to uh, a reception even. I just love the fruity and floral characteristics of all of these. They smell so pretty. They are very floral, and, and I think roses even come out in this, um, carnation. And this, again, comes from that lineage of the Gewürztraminer and, and how that grape brought over into the Traminette the, the, those great floral flavors. 
the Easley Tramnet, the third one. Uh, this is my go-to summer wine. I Thank you, Tom. I, I do. I, mean, I, I get a case of it. And, you know, after a hot day in, in the sun, you want something to drink. This is this cold is a great way to refresh. And after that, and mm-hmm. um, it's, it's great with picnic foods. I mean, it's great with smoked meats. You know, I'll tell you what, pad thai is a big staple mm. in our house. This goes great with pad thai, and I'm just really proud of what I'm sampling here from the different Indiana wineries and their Traminette. This is, you know, you talk about making a Traminette run across the state. You definitely could go from winery to winery, from the north to the south, and say, hi, can I try your Traminette? And get a really good sense of the different growing conditions and the different winemaking styles. And I'm just really excited. Let's do a road trip. Right, (laughs) I know. So let's try the last one here, the sweetest of the four. And it's not sweet by any means. I mean, this mm-hmm. still is, you know, maybe 3 or 4% sugar. There's just subtle differences from wine to wine that we've got set in front of us. Mm-hmm. When I taste that last one from Butler, I, I get this almost iced tea kind of a feel, like peach iced tea. There's, it. Yeah, I could, I could um, see that. Yeah, so this, that is the Butler, this is the Butler 2018 Traminet. Yeah. And I think this one just won a big award at the Indian International. Didn't it did. It? it was Traminet of the Year. Shout out to the folks at Butler. Nicely done. All four wines we sampled were from award-winning Indiana wineries, Easley, Country Heritage near Fort Wayne, Tunney Winery in Muncie, and Butler Winery in Bloomington, winner of Traminette of the Year at the 2019 Indy International Wine Competition. Meredith Easley is with Easley Winery in Indianapolis, and Tom England is a certified executive chef with Ivy Tech's Culinary Arts Program. For Earth Eats, I'm Susan Mintert. Susan Mintert is host of the Indiana Home Cooks podcast at indianahomecooks.com. Hear the full Tremonette conversation there and learn more about Indiana's signature wine at indianawines.org. Production support comes from Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects. Sustainable, energy positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at GriffeyCreek.studio. Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent with Personal Financial Services, assisting businesses and individuals with tax preparation and planning for over 15 years. More at PersonalFinancialServices.net and insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Resch Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 2018, I interviewed Jesus Barajas, owner and chef of Sasan. Jesus and his wife Maria ran a taco stand at the Saturday markets here in Bloomington. 
I spoke with them at the winter market held in the Harmony School building. This month, Sasan opened their own restaurant in downtown Bloomington, and I can't wait to talk with them about the transition. Look for that story in the coming weeks here on Earth Eats. And in the meantime, listen to our piece on Sasan, including their carnitas recipe from the winter of 2018. When I say the word taco, a specific image probably comes to mind. And I wouldn't be surprised if that image is different for each of us. It might be a crispy corn shell filled with spicy ground beef, cheese, and shredded lettuce. Or maybe it's a soft taco, a flour tortilla with beans, cheese, and red salsa. While most of us know what a taco is, the variations on the taco theme are endless. I think we can all agree that the basic structure of a taco would be some kind of filling folded inside of a tortilla. The taco has its origins in Mexico, and each region in Mexico has its own type of taco. Along the Pacific coast, you'll find tacos featuring fish and seafood. In the northern Mexican states, you might find tacos made with flour tortillas, filled with barbecued or even dried meats. And in Mexico City, you can find tacos from all regions of the country. Our guest today was born in Mexico City, but moved with his family to the Yucatan as a young teenager. Today, he brings a distinctly Yucatan-style cuisine to his taco stand in Bloomington, Indiana. My name is Jesus Barajas. I'm the owner of a little food stand that we have here at the uh, Bloomington Winter Farmer's Market. The name of the booth is Sazon, Mexican cuisine, and we offer tacos with different toppings and sauces for people to enjoy. We have a mild and a hot habanero sauce, and then a mild green tomatillo sauce. Yeah, I'm preparing a, a pork carnitas taco for a customer. We usually just heat up a couple of tortillas and the little uh, grill that we have here um, for a couple of minutes. And then when it's ready, we transfer it to the boat that we use. We have our carnitas ready and a little uh, crock pot warmer. We put a uh, generous amount of our carnitas pork into the uh, warmed up tortilla. We just give it to the customer so they can add any um, toppings that you like. We have different toppings here. We have chopped cilantro, pickled red onions, uh, fresh raw onions, uh, radishes, cucumbers, limes, and we offer two sauces. One is mild tomatillo and the other one is um, Really spicy, yeah, but really delicious uh, habanero sauce. For the pork carnitas, we usually recommend the uh, pickled red onions that we prepare ourselves. Maybe some cilantro, a little cucumbers, lime. And if you combine both of the sauces, uh, it, it's really good because it balances from one to another. So it's not that spicy, but you still get the flavor of the habanero and a lot of citrus that goes in there. I met Jesus and his wife, Maria, at the bustling winter farmer's market. I met later with Jesus in a quieter space to learn more about his business. It's a family business, and uh, it, it's my wife, Maria, and myself. We've been doing this. This is going to be our third year on the Saturday market. And um, I have a, a boy named Leonardo. He's nine, and he helps us as well on the market on Saturdays. Of all the toppings Sison offers for their tacos, the pickled onions are the most striking. They're almost hot pink in color with an equally bright flavor. I had to know how they're made. They're really simple. 
we start with uh, red onions. We use red wine vinegar as well. We kind of bring to a simmer a little uh, the red wine vinegar with a little bit of water, like equal parts, a little bit of sugar, salt. And uh, we bring that to a simmer and we pour it over the sliced onions and we let it sit for overnight usually. It's enough for them to be the right consistency. The pickled onions are an important element in the traditional taco from the Yucatan. The dish that we have at the uh, Saturday market uh, on the summer, it's called uh, cochinita pibil. It's from the Yucatan. Um, the name that we, that we put on the farmer's market is like Yucatan braised pork. And that's the type of those pickled onions. That's like the traditional way to eat that kind of meat or a taco or a sandwich in the Yucatan. And that's why we come up with that idea. And also like that bright color that we have is because of the red wine vinegar that we use. We try to use like a good quality vinegar and that helps a lot too. The pork taco that we usually have, the chorizo and egg that we have, they're really traditional the type of food that we used to eat when we were living in Yucatan. Um, on the vegan option, we play a little bit more with that. Like we work with the season and that's not as traditional, but we try to, to, to use whatever is in season, whatever vegetable is in season and use like the spices or the sauces just to give that touch. Um, we use a lot of, uh, on, on the pork and also like sometimes with the vegan, we use um, anato seeds that then becomes uh, a chiote paste. That's another name for it, like really red and bright. You grind a lot of spices with it, with those seeds, and you add like different kinds of pepper and garlic and onion, and like you, you, you make a paste at the end with it, and then you marinate. Either you can do it traditionally, it's the meat, the pork, and uh, but we we use that for the for the vegetables as well, uh, to give to give it that flavor and that authenticity, even though it's not very authentic to to find vegan tacos right i mean right now it is more it's becoming more more available for people that is vegetarian or vegan but traditionally um it's mostly meats in 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 mexico like most of the booths at the winter farmers market saison's space is tight and limited during the main market season which runs april through november saison works from a tent with more space and an expanded menu I wanted to know what else they offered at their outdoor market stand. We do the three tacos. We also do drinks. We've been doing drinks since, since we started. So we do horchata. That one, that, that we make that one as well. And um, the other one is hibiscus iced tea. Um, the name for that in Mexico is usually is Jamaica. That's like the flower of Jamaica, it's hibiscus flower. So we have those two drinks. Last year, we, st- we started doing like another breakfast item, which is called chilaquiles. We use the same chorizo and the eggs. Uh, that m- that's mixed with tortilla chips. At the end, we put some of our um, tomatillo green salsa, um, avocado cream sauce that we make as well, and then uh, cotija cheese. And people can put more of the toppings on that one as well. And that was very popular last year. We're going we're gonna to keep doing that this year. And we're hoping on introducing maybe another or two more like little breakfast items. I know for sure one of them we're gonna start doing like 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 a little uh, huevos rancheros at this Saturday market too um, this year, um, which is like a tortilla with some refried beans, a fried egg, and some uh, red sauce on top. And people are gonna be able to put their toppings as well, like they do with the tacos or the other item, the chilaquiles.
Jesus Barajas has known that he wanted a career in food since college. After finishing culinary school in Mexico, he worked in restaurants and has been in the industry for more than 10 years. I asked him what he liked most about what he's doing now. I love to serve people. I really enjoy uh, watching people enjoying what we what we prepare. Uh, we wanted to bring um, that authenticity to Bloomington, and uh, we were kind of a little bit of skeptical at the beginning when we started doing the farmers market because we didn't know if people were gonna they were gonna like what we were doing or they were used to a different kind of tacos right so we were happy to find out that a lot of people they have like the knowledge if they travel to mexico or they had family there or they live there they they do know people tell us that they really like what, what we prepare and that they, they miss that or they were looking for something like that here in bloomington but yeah at the beginning it was it was a little difficult because we didn't know what to expect or what to do and I am I am a very shy person. I am not very like um, outgoing and like really risky. But I just I just had that little voice inside. It, it was saying just let let's go ahead and do it. Let's go ahead and try it and see. And if it doesn't work, at least we tried it or we try it a different way or we try it again. So it brings me to a question about, I was going to ask you about sourcing. Are you able to get any of your ingredients locally or like in the summertime, are you able to get things from the farmers at the market? Yeah, that's our main focus. And that's why we started working um, at the farmer's market. We decided that to be our um, our venue, right? Because uh, we were really interested in start like uh, sourcing our, our ingredients from local farmers and vendors and we always try to highlight whatever is in season, uh, highlight uh, the vegetables that we use for the vegan tacos, the toppings. We have the fresh eggs that we that we source locally as well. A lot of the times we buy the, the eggs right at the market, like at 6.30, 7 a.m. in the morning, we buy our eggs uh, to, for the day. Even the meats with local farmers, the pork that we use, the chorizo that we use, it's local. We made it before. Um, and we use like local ground pork or the chorizo that we use is always like local for, from, for a local farm. And I think that's why people appreciate the most that we are using that product and then bringing something authentic um, to them as well. So let's get into how the tacos are made. All the prep work happens ahead of time, well before the market. Sasan operates out of the One World Commissary Kitchen in Bloomington. Yeah, uh, we work here at uh, One World Commissary Kitchen. Um, it's a really nice kitchen. We're able to have um, everything that we need to prepare for the Saturday market. We have dry storage. We have the cooler storage. And the owner and the, the managers here and all the people is really nice. Uh, there's a lot of vendors, uh, local vendors, street vendors, that they work from this kitchen. And, and it's just like a really... Um, nice way to interact with other vendors and like I have like a little family here. I know on Fridays they have like a get together as well at like uh, noon in the afternoon where they prepare lunch and everybody gets together and eats and maybe share some ideas. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, really gr grateful that we have this here in Bloomington cause, because there's a lot of great um, street vendors, food vendors that sometimes is very difficult for us and including myself too to move to an actual place. Um, so we cut a lot of those expenses and we are able still to bring what we love and what we like uh, to people in the venues like the farmer's market or the food truck Fridays as well. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so back to the tacos. When Jesus explained to me how they prepare the carnitas, I understood, perhaps for the first time, why people go out to eat. See, I'm the kind of person who, when I go to an arts and crafts market, I never buy anything because I think, I can just make that myself. I'm the same way with food. I taste something I like and immediately start scheming on how I can make it at home. I won't be making these tacos at home. Why would I? Sasan has it down. And honestly, it's quite a process to make the carnitas. So traditionally, the pork would be deep fried in a huge amount of lard. Sasan goes with the low and slow approach. They season the pork, usually a large 10 pound locally sourced pork shoulder, with salt and dry seasonings, including thyme, marjoram, and black pepper. They place it in a large roasting pan, along with a small amount of lard, sourced also locally from the same farm that the pork comes from. They add a few bay leaves, orange juice, and a bottle of Coca-Cola. Baraja says that the Coke has a caramelizing effect on the pork, and he specifies that you want to use the kind from Mexico in a glass bottle made with sugarcane. They typically let this marinate in the fridge for most of the day. When they're ready to cook the meat, they cover it with foil and roast it overnight for 8 to 10 hours in an oven set to 225. When it's finished, they remove the pork, shred it with tongs and a fork, strain the remaining pan juices, and then add some of that back in with the pork. And that's it. The carnitas are ready to be nestled into a hot tortilla with the toppings of your choice. I can see that it's pretty straightforward, but it's not the kind of thing I would make myself. But if you are the kind of person who would try this at home, we have the recipe for the carnitas and the pickled red onions on our website, eartheats.org. The story you just heard is from 2018, back when Sasan's tacos could only be found at the Saturday market. Earlier this month, Sasan opened a restaurant downtown serving lunch and dinner Wednesday through Saturday. Find the details on our website, eartheats.org. EarthEats team includes Aobon Binder, Chad Bouchard, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Taylor Killo, Josephine McRobbie, Daniel Orr, the IU Food Institute, Harvest Public Media, and me, Renee Reed. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. EarthEats is produced and edited by Kate Young, and our executive producer is John Bailey. Special thanks this week to Susan Minter, Meredith Easley, Tom England, Jesus Barajas, and everyone at Sasan. Production support comes from insurance agent Dan Williamson of Bill Rush Insurance, offering comprehensive auto, business, and home coverage in affiliation with Pekin Insurance. Beyond the expected. More at 812-336-6838. Bill Brown at Griffey Creek Studio, architectural design and consulting for residential, commercial, and community projects sustainable, energy-positive, and resilient design for a rapidly changing world. Bill at griffeycreek.studio.
and Elizabeth Rue, enrolled agent providing customized financial services for individuals, businesses, and disabled adults, including tax planning, bill paying, and estate services. More at personalfinancialservices.net.